You're listening to Intentional Optimists, the podcast for unconventional leaders, where you'll find inspiration, learn to discover and develop your own strengths, and hear from inspiring women just like you who are making a difference in their community. Who knows, you just might find yourself stepping up as the next unconventional leader right where you are. I'm your host, Andrea Johnson, the original Intentional Optimist. Hi there, welcome to episode number nine. I have a secret for you. I'm one of those people who doesn't like group work. You know what I mean. When you're at a conference or a workshop and they say, all right, let's break up into groups of four and five and talk about, yeah, that's when I usually need a restroom break. One of the big reasons I don't like it is because I invariably get picked as the group spokesperson. I know, hard to believe, isn't it? And while I don't mind speaking or being up front, representing a group of people can be a big responsibility and I am not at all comfortable speaking for others. Call me crazy, but I don't even like speaking for my family. I mean, we all have different opinions. Now, last week we looked at courage, what it means, and how sometimes it's just showing up as ourselves or speaking up and being willing to have a hard conversation. And this week, I want to share the first part of an interview with my friend, Mariah Humphreys. She's learned to do what literally makes my knees shake and my stomach turn upside down. She speaks up for others every day. Now I'm saving the rest of her interview for later in the season, but I want you to hear some of her journey and the things she's doing now, things that are truly courageous, having some hard conversations, how she's managing them and why. I met Mariah 25 years ago when we were both working at the seminary we and our husbands attended. She's smart, funny, gracious, and kind, and she's been on her own becoming or stepping into journey. Today, we'll hear about the genesis of her path to where she is and her really big why. Here's Mariah Humphreys. Hey, Mariah. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited you're here. (laughs) Yeah, no pressure. So I've already given the audience just a little bit of an introduction about you, but there's no way to do that in like two minutes. So why don't you give us a little background? Tell us who you are, what you're doing, um, and we'll talk a little bit about how we know each other because it's been a long, well, not a long, it's just, it's been a minute. It's been a couple. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I'm Mariah Humphreys and... Um, the obvious is I'm a biracial Native American. So I'm of the Muscogee Creek, commonly known as Creek Nation. And so we're based in Oklahoma. And so I grew up kind of in both worlds. So my dad was white and my mom was Native American. And so I, my younger years, I grew up heavily in around the Native culture, um, Native community, around a lot of people who looked like me. And then we moved in a couple of different places. And then I became more in a um, majority space. So I became more of um, the minority in those spaces. So I've grown up in both both worlds. So I kind of consider myself bicultural, just because it sounds cool, because I'm not bilingual. Um, so I have to be, you know, have to have some sort of cool label there. Um, well, in, so that, in the missionary community, we call that third culture. Okay, so that's probably what it is. And yeah. you, you because know exactly what it's like being in two cultures at once. Yeah. I mean, you're not American and I grew up in Korea, so you're not Korean. Right. But it's this third culture yes. of a uniqueness. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Sorry and for interrupting. Go ahead. No, you, 
hey, this is going to be just like old school. You know, we're just going to start talking and we'll, we'll run right back into it. And so then I ended up marrying a white man. And so I'm in this interracial relationship, this marriage. And um, we have three beautiful kids that all look different. And we're always trying to figure out, you know, except for the, the obvious, the son who looks just like the mom. The other two yeah. were like, who do you look like? And so we are um, based in Waco, Texas where my husband is a senior pastor here. We've been here for about 11 years, a little over. And I feel like you just moved back there. I know this is my third time in Texas. I have spent (laughs) over half of my 47 years in Texas, but I'm not, I wasn't born here, but just pretty much every decade I've been in Texas at some point. And I, I just keep getting brought back. I mean, apparently God's here or something. I don't know. So that's what they say. And <laughs> see, I'm the opposite. I was yeah. born there and I wasn't raised there, but then I went back there for several things. And now it's like, you know, we came in 2009. Okay. And so we moved from Detroit, Michigan, which is where my husband's from, but we're, we're here in Texas and I work at Baylor university and I work with communications here and we and we really love being here in central Texas. It was not a space that we were looking to come to. We were assuming that we were going to either be on the East Coast because that's primarily kind of where we were looking. And yeah, because he's, he's a northerner. I mean, you know Amos. So <laughs> he's, he's all the way north. And so I, I kind of just have adapted to the culture I'm in, I guess. So we kind of assumed we'd stay up in that area. And we were on vacation and laying on a beach just trying to debrief our life. And all of a sudden we get this phone call from Waco, Texas. And he like covers the phone. He's like, did you send my resume to Waco, Texas? I'm like, why would I send your resume to Waco, Texas? He's like, I'm on the phone with some guy from Waco, Texas. I'm like, well, that's interesting. I know Baylor's there and that's all I know. So yeah. And so we came here and we, we love it here. We're, we are central Texans. Yeah. It's pretty. Central Texas is really pretty. It is. It is. We love the people here. It's, we, we really do like Waco. We support Waco. We're fully, fully embraced and you know, plan to live our life out around this area. So yeah, it's really pretty. Yeah. So um, we've known each other and we met in Texas. Yes. We met because we met, we, my, I went to seminary and actually met my husband there. So actually I'm going to ask your input. Did, did, was I already married when you came? Cause you were already you, married. You had just gotten married. Okay. So when's your, when is your anniversary month? May. I think I started working in the summer. Okay. I mean, you, you were brand new, a newlywed newbie. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and you had already been married like about two years, right? Or a year. Probably about yeah. that. You walked in and um, you can't see Mariah right now, but you can go and find her. She is a stunner and she's tall and, and, and stately and willow. And at the time, you know, when we're young, we have like all these perfect things about us and yes. you have this beautiful <laughs> like crown of glory hair. And I mean, and it's now were, a lot more white than it was then. What does the Bible say about that though? I mean, that's the, really, that's, that's a good for. stuff. I'm but hoping it, for it. it. It all works on you. You just wear it easy. <laughs> and I was so, oh, I don't know, immature, I think. Um, and I remember thinking, I think I've told you this before. I, you walked in. You have. I can't work with her. It's <laughs> too pretty. <laughs> Yeah. That's what seminary does for you. It really um, helps the ego. Let me tell you that much. Yeah. Um, but so our husbands were both MDiv students and master mm-hmm. of divinity students. I was a master of divinity student. And, yes. um, but you hadn't, you, you, you are now, 
you now have your MDiv and I don't. And <laughs> not that it's a competition, but it's like, there's so much that's happened since yeah. then. So yeah. we worked in the school of church music together and we were, but one of the perks was getting good, like uh, somebody got a full scholarship on your, like when you, isn't that right? I mean, mm-hmm. so, I mean, it just, that saves you a lot of money. It's a really good It perk. sure does. Yeah. So it also puts um, a little bit of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> especially when it's who it was that gave me that scholarship. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do as best as I can. (laughs) But it was very, it was very, uh, I don't know. It was like a crucible in there. (laughs) And, um, but we learned a lot and I will tell you this. One of the things I, when we, before we got on this recording, this call, um, I am so proud of you. And one of the things I love about you is that I think you started teaching me from the moment we met. And that's just in your nature. And, um, you know, we all get to the point every once in a while where we do it in the tough way. But um, one of the things that you did for me was you helped me understand the doctrines of grace better than I had ever done so before. Do you remember this conversation? Sorry, I'm going to talk. You've said it before, but I never believe it. So tell me again. Well, (laughs) I was having a hard time understanding the doctrine of election. And so, sorry, I don't normally get into all this theology stuff. And, uh, but, um, I do. These were were our conversations. You're in seminary, you know, what are you going to do? And I was a master of divinity student and, but I didn't understand how God could choose. And it just didn't make sense to me. And you just looked at me really calmly and you said, I'm just really glad he chose me. <laughs> I think I still stand by that. <laughs> and you see, it's like you had this wisdom and that has, that remains with you. Like that's just part of your core. That's just who you are. And so I'm just really excited. So let's talk to, to see re- where you are now. I'm really excited that this is going to be on recording forever. So yes. I get to actually play that part back for people. We'll do a soundbite for you. <laughs> that's going to be my intro. <laughs> So tell us what you do now, because at some point you made a pivot, you made a change. Tell us where you are now and what you're doing, because that's a huge piece of the reason why I wanted to interview you. I'm part of what is either unknown or perhaps widely misunderstood cultures in our country, and that's being Native American. And so the more I can educate on our history and our issues and lived experience, that's kind of where I am in my life right now. I think I'm at a point to where I'm confident in myself when that was probably lacking before and to have difficult conversations because it's not easy to put yourself out there and show any vulnerability, not, not weakness, but just having who you are be out there with that chance that someone could come back and, you know, throw it back in your face or challenge it. But I think over the years as being a parent is really whenever I shifted because one of my children, it happens to be my son, is a dark brown, handsome young man. And I can totally say that because he's my son and I think he looks like me. And so it's not just because he's your son. (laughs) And so he's, you know, there is this young man that I was watching. And although that we would go through different experiences, him as a male, me as a female, I knew that there were things that he was going to face um, strictly on the color of his skin, positives and negatives. So I kind of watched him and watched what he was going through. And, but what I didn't realize as an adult um, or what I didn't realize as a child now as a parent looking back was I get to see it from this outside 
and he's experiencing it, but I'm seeing it as someone who has already experienced something and I'm looking at him and I'm like, that's, there was like a um, little triggers. And I was like, that looks familiar with what he's talking about or just little um, microaggressions or really what other people were, were saying maybe towards him or towards, um, uh, you know, when he was younger, we were in Detroit. So being Brown in Detroit doesn't necessarily mean that people assume that you are Hispanic or Native American, definitely not. We usually get, as a brown person especially, we usually kind of get defaulted to whatever the the local um, brown community is, you know? Sure. Um, and so up there, it's more of your um, Middle East area. So there's a lot of tensions there. You know, we, we had 9-11 that kicked in while we were there, and, and there's just a lot of unknown, genuinely ignorant kind of um, viewpoints, just like they just don't know what they're talking about or they just don't know any history on certain things. And so it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily that they chose to be a certain way. They just didn't know. And so it was walking him through a lot of those things that um, I realized that I need to educate a little bit more, not only my own kids. I was well-versed in that growing up because my mom was, you know, Native American and I was in that culture and I was around cousins and the community and you just grow up knowing, but now I had to be more intentional and that put me in a different space. And so teaching my kids, you know, and byproduct, my husband, how to navigate that life as being Native American, uh, just kind of flowed into taking that to other people as well. You know, I wanted other people to know more about what Clay was experiencing. I wanted people to know what it was like to be in, in my shoes so they would understand. And so maybe they could just see it a little bit differently and it wouldn't be this unknown. It would be, yeah, you know, Mariah's talked about this before, or yeah, Mariah talked about that. I'm seeing that now in my other friend who, you know, is Brown as well or black or whatever. And so that is, yeah, it's kind of where I am now, but it started, you know, 22 years ago as a parent. And now it's more, I'm seeing them take that on, which is great. And I, you know, I also cheer them on and concerned at the same time for them because I know what they're going to face. But yeah, but just being able to take that out and be a little bit more educational publicly. And so that I, I'm very much, I guess I would consider myself an educator at this point, um, especially in the topics of Native American culture and history things that we face and, and kind of trying to become an ally to other groups of color as well and learning as much as I can so I can uplift that voice as well. So that's kind of where just a few things have happened in the past years. Just that's a kind few. of where I am. Yeah. Yeah. And you're working in the Christian community mm-hmm. work specifically with Be, Be the, the Bridge. Bridge. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So that's a national organization and with I guess you could, there's a lot of world impact as well. We have um, people who are involved with Be The Bridge all over the place. And so that is an area where I was really able to kind of hone in some terminology, I guess. I could put some terms and some official wording to my lived experience, which Mm -hmm. was very beneficial. And those those aren't words are always easy to hear or to deal with, but that was very helpful for me. And it's a, it's a organization that focuses on, it's foundationally Christian, very biblical, and it focuses on racial reconciliation. But we know to have that 
you have to have like racial literacy and you have to um, become aware of the people around you and, you know, starting with humility, you know, lament all the way through. Um, so it's this process that you have to go through. And Tasha Morrison is the, Latasha Morrison's the founder and she's got a book and, you know, a podcast and which is always incredible to listen to. And, but she started off as a black Christian woman in a predominantly white space um, within a church atmosphere and realized that her experience was not being represented, um, misunderstood. And so she took that on as a challenge for herself to become that educator for people and that she got friends involved and then they talked about it. And so now she's got this organization that is thriving and I'm completely grateful for the people that are around Be The Bridge from, you know, male, female, white, brown, black, because I'm in a constant learning stage being around mm -hmm. these people. Um, and it's, it's great. And they're learning from me and other Native Americans. And it's, it's a beautiful community to be part of. You know, I really appreciate that. But I've become a little bit more officially part of the group for uh, ministry. So um, consider their uh, ministry educator, which is interesting because, you know, I grew up in the ministry, so I know a little bit about church. This, this is new. This, this is Yes, good. this is newer. And especially this time in the season of our country and our American church. So <laughs> there's no pressure. So it's, but you it's always just like to slide in easy, right? Yes. <laughs> why just like, you know, why jump right in? So, but that became something that was more of a passion of mine. And so I talked to Tasha about, this is really something that I, as Christians, we expect the church to talk about these things, um, talk about unity and talk about, re you know, reconciliation. But when our churches maybe don't have a lot of knowledge about the racial side of reconciliation and that culture and literacy behind that, then we can come in and help with that. And I, I have a heart for pastors. I mean, I'm married to one, you're married to one, and we both grew up in pastor's homes. Yep. And so ministry is not new to us. And we both have a love for the church, um, the global church, the local church. Mm -hmm. You know, we, I think we have a, a deep-seated desire to see that be the best that it can be. Right. And so I have a heart for every person who stands behind that pulpit every Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I know the intensity and the pressure that they have when our climate is raised like it is right now. And this expectation that they're supposed to all of a sudden just know what to say when we're all in this journey. So that was um, a passion of mine that we are now really focusing on. And um, so I'm really head deep into not only just this work, but how this plays out within the American church. So that's really my focus right now. That's really exciting. The nice thing about it is it feels interdenominational or yes, extra yes. denominational. It is not for any one denomination. It is not right. for a Protestant or Catholic. It mm -hmm. is for anybody who is Christ follower and yes. meets on Sunday, Saturday, whenever that um, you can come in. And I heard about Be the Bridge from you and um, then actually was invited to join a study group that I did this summer, which for... <laughs> <laughs> further ripped me open, but, um, <laughs> what a time to go through good. it. <laughs> I know it, it was really good. Um, and I met some great people through it and there were a couple of ladies here, but it was mostly, um, it was Natalie Heath led it out of, uh, Atlanta and, oh, wow. um, <clears throat> it was really good. Um, and 
as I was reading through my assignments, I was like reading through and it's like, get to the prayer. And it's like, hang on. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's Mariah Humphreys <laughs> at the end of that prayer. And I'm like, I'm going to pray that one again. And <laughs> I may have a prayer underneath reparations in the Be the Bridge Group. Yeah. Just, yeah. And if you hadn't noticed, Mariah's not somebody to toot her own horn. So um, she just doesn't. But she has a lot of accomplishments. And we'll talk about some of those a little bit. But what I, I would love to know, too, I know that you said that the thing that kind of helped you pivot into this space and make you really want to actually start taking on this type of a leadership role was the fact that you were a mom and you mm -hmm. found these small people that needed to understand. And as we yes. all learned in the biblically based South Pacific, you have to teach them very well and you have to teach them very young and yes. to teach them properly. Right. So it, that is a really interesting way to come about that because you always felt those things, but did you ever consider yourself um, somebody that was going to become a leader in this space? Or, I mean, did it just evolved? No, I don't see myself <laughs> a leader. <laughs> you don't see yourself now as a leader? Uh, well, I, I, I feel the pressure now as a leader, but I okay. definitely didn't see myself as a leader. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I like to, I'm more of an introvert naturally. And, and I very much like to, even though I, the positions that I have held in life have shot me into the microscope and out in the front. I, I prefer to be in the back. I, I like to be the person behind the, you know, curtain that no one has to see, but I just kind of make sure, you know, the computers are going or, you know, just whatever. I prefer not <laughs> to be standing up on a stage or having a light shown on me. But then I realized that, you know, I, I have a lived experience, both as a Christian and as a Native American Christian, that is not always shared and it's not always talked about and it's definitely misunderstood and naturally so because it is a very unique kind of um, space to navigate and so I felt that that this was a time that I probably should go ahead and step up and I not only have the biblical knowledge but I've got the cultural knowledge and that's pretty solid groundwork for mm -hmm. this work and so I might as well step in I wasn't part of a big Native American group at um, the seminary we attended. I might have been maybe the only one, in fact. I was going to say, maybe. were there? We weren't yeah. that far from Oklahoma. No, but. we weren't. <laughs> no, we weren't. And I ended up wrapping up my um, degree at another seminary, which also did not have a high Native American population. So it's, it's definitely one of those things where I just, I felt like it was a missing voice. So I needed to step up and with much, much pushing from my husband, who is not only my biggest supporter, but he's also my biggest challenger in so many ways. But he definitely said, hey, you need to do this because, you know, nobody knows. Because things that you've taught me, I didn't know. And the only reason why I know is because you're teaching me and you're showing me. And that's amazing. Everybody needs to go through that. And so do it in, in your space, with your words, with your experience and just know that that's enough. And so that kind of encouragement was who I am right now in the, the season that I'm in, whether it's in my 30s or 20s or 40s. I'm heading into my 50s very quickly. 
They're not bad. <laughs> They're not bad. Um, yeah, I'm excited to get out of my 40s. I'm like, 50s, yeah, that sounds very distinguished. It's like, extremely freeing. Like, does, you know, is it a switch where I just feel distinguished all of a sudden? I mean, because I'm hoping for that. Yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> if it's not the day that I turn 50, I might have to come to you and say, you were wrong. Um, no, 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 I'll just I'm not wrong. <laughs> throw you under the bus on that one. Anyway. No, but I think that that's, um, I think that that's something, especially in a church setting where... Right. We, we so easily focus on um, the oppressed and the downtrodden and mm-hmm. the mistreated. It's such a natural thing for a Christian to um, be drawn to. And we very much accept that as that gospel mission. So why not bring that into a space today? And so that's, that's kind of where I started. And it really was strongly encouraged by urging of my husband to kind of get out of that comfort zone and to really just start sharing what I did know when I knew it. That's cool. That's a wonderful story. Now I know you're thinking, hey, where's the rest? Well, don't worry. We'll share the rest later in the season, but I wanted you to hear this piece now because it's such a great example of what we talked about last week. Mariah clearly explained her journey of stepping fully into who she is today. She realized by watching her son go through familiar experiences that she could teach and benefit not just her children, but her community, eventually blossoming out into being one of the few voices in the racial reconciliation space speaking from the Native American viewpoint. Now, sometimes we're shoved into a leadership role, even if we're not looking for it or don't want it. And sometimes we fill a void. Sometimes it's even a calling. Mariah saw a need, she then filled the void, and is now a unique and important voice for reconciliation and justice. And what she's doing across communities and in churches is desperately needed right now. I'd also like to point out a very important thing here. She did not do this by herself. Yes, she did recognize the need and she started on her own, but she has amazing support. Her husband has been her greatest encouragement, even pushing her to step out when she, as an introvert, would rather stay behind the scenes. What was it I said last week? Not everyone has the ability to see the forest. They might only see the trees. She helps us see the greater picture, and she's been willing to get out front and lead with the support and encouragement of those closest to her. But she also surrounds herself with other supporters like Be the Bridge Leadership Community, who ensure that she has the public support she needs as well. So let that be the charge to you today. How can you be involved? Well, you can start with checking out Be The Bridge. The book is designed to walk through in a facilitated group setting. And as I discovered, they're available in the virtual space too. Mine was a weekly Zoom meeting with ladies from several states, but either way, learn. And if you're not the one who needs to be out front, perhaps you can be the encouraging voice to another who, like Mariah, does have a unique perspective to add to the conversation. All right, as we do every time we talk to a guest, let's look at how Mariah embodies the tenets of intentional optimism. She's optimistic. Mariah is hopeful, positive, and proactive. And when we share the second part of our interview, you'll hear what she's always optimistic about. She's present. She celebrates the beauty she finds in others. She's generous with her knowledge, and she's extremely kind and open. She's willing to stand in a space or a conversation without judging. She's energetic, she's creative, joyous, and celebrates people and uplifts others with her willingness to share their stories. 
Mariah is wise in that she sees the bigger spiritual picture heading into a tough racial reconciliation space from a Christian perspective. When she speaks, she's truly worth listening to. Like I said, she's been teaching me from the day we met. And she's well-respected because of how she's graciously yet courageously carried herself on this path she's walking. Mariah's intentional. She teaches others how to see things from a different perspective. She's so dedicated to personal growth that she surrounds herself with people who challenge her to think differently and stretch. But most of all, today we saw that Mariah is courageous. She's willing to serve those around her, both the voices that have not always had someone to stand for them and the majority community who need to hear them. She shares her vision of what can be, what should be, and she does it with grace and wisdom. She's not intimidated by those who may not be as kind in return, and she is consistent in her focus and message. You see why I wanted to pop this one in as an example of courage? Mariah is also unconventional in her leadership in that she's passionate about truth-telling and educating others to be able to see from a different perspective. And this stems from her core values of truly wanting to help people understand, which makes her a real and approachable role model in that she's willing to step up and speak up even as an introvert or when it's not popular. And she's committed to personal growth. Mariah surrounds herself with people who encourage her and enable her to grow daily. But remember... Unconventional leaders lead at every level in any area using their unique gifts. Mariah started off teaching her kids and then her husband and then grew into teaching her friends and community. And she's grown into this bigger role taking on teaching pastors and ministers. So don't let anyone tell you it's impossible. The principles of intentional optimism and unconventional leadership are attainable, developed over time. You can find Mariah on Facebook and LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter, and we'll give you all the links in the show notes. If you haven't already, you'll want to subscribe to this podcast because you will not want to miss the second part of her interview when it comes out later this season. Until next time. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you're an intentional optimist and you love this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review with a five-star rating. You can also snap a screenshot right where you're listening, share it to social media, and tag me. This helps others find us and we'll have an even bigger impact. If you're curious what it would be like to work more closely with me or just to step up as an unconventional leader yourself, I invite you to schedule a free discovery session to talk with me and learn more. Just email me at andrea at theintentionaloptimist.com. If you're looking for an encouraging and uplifting community on Facebook, hop on over and join the Intentional Optimist group, women encouraging women from all over the globe. The community and email links are right here in the show description wherever you listen to the podcast. Until next time, remember, you're the answer. You are the future of leadership and the role models for future generations.